Welcome to the Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. This week we have Paul finishing off our series, An Open Life. Hope you enjoy. Hey, great to be with you today. Today I am finishing up our series that we've been in for the last few weeks, An Open Life. And this series, the heart of it has been us learning to live an open, expansive, welcoming life where we bring life and hope to those around us, where we welcome people in, where we live a generous life to those around us. Uh, and this has been part of our Live Like Jesus discipleship framework, where as a church, we're just wanting to look at the way that Jesus lived, look at the example he set and say, well, we're going to follow that too. And if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus is just so open to those around him. And it's amazing. And so that's the example that we want to follow. Over this series, we've looked at needing the mindset uh, to see people how God sees them. And James had that really helpful analogy of the mud and the masterpiece, if you remember it. If you don't remember it, go back and watch the first talk. And then we ha- we've heard talks on being interruptible and being invitational. And then today, I'm going to be finishing up the series, looking at another piece in the puzzle of an open life. Uh, and really... It's this idea that an open life is not about you. And at the heart of it, an open life is a life of service. We're going to be in the Gospel of John as we talk about that today. And we are going to look at Jesus' teaching from the night before he was crucified. So if you've got Bibles with you, open up to John 13. If not, then the verses are going to come up on the screen as I read them. So we're in John 13 and we're going to start off in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And then over the next few verses, what happens is Jesus gets up, he takes off his outer garments, which in and of itself was a pretty inappropriate thing for him to do. But then he goes round and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And he gets to Simon Peter and Simon Peter is like, no, like Rabbi, you will not wash my feet. I will not let you do that to me. He's in disbelief that Jesus, his Lord, his rabbi that he follows would do such a thing. So they have this little back and forth about it. And, uh, and, and Jesus is saying, look, you don't really see what's going on yet, but I have to wash your feet. And Peter goes, okay, then if you've got to wash my feet, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, well, Peter, feet washing is the only thing on offer here. <laughs> if you've had a bath this morning, you're okay. I'm just going to wash your feet. And so that, that back and forth happens. And then let's pick it back up in verse 12. When he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one he sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus, as we uh, open up your word today, Holy Spirit, would you anoint these words and would you bless everyone listening to hear from you and be equipped as they follow you. Amen. So, It's the night before Jesus is crucified and he's gathered his disciples together and he's having a meal, he's eating with them. 
And we see in verse one an interesting thing. I don't know if you picked it up as I read it. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew he was about to die. And what proceeds in this chapter and then the following chapters is what he chose to, his, to, chose to say to his disciples, his closest friends in his last hours. Now, I don't know um, if you've ever thought about this, what you would want your last words to be. Now, look, <laughs> I don't want to be too morbid in any, uh, any sense of the word, but imagine if today was your last day. And hopefully, obviously, hopefully it's not. Hopefully you've got many more days to come. But if today was your last day, what would you want to say to your family, to your friends? What would you want them to know? What would you want them to have as your parting message to them? Now, many of us don't get to know when our time will come, but here Jesus does. Here, he knows he is about to die. And I think it is fascinating that this is what he chose to say when he knew that death was only a few hours away. This is the message he wanted to leave his disciples with. Jesus washing the feet of the disciples is a story many of us will have known. Even if we are new to church or haven't been in church before, we have probably heard the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you may have even had your feet washed. We've done it as a church at some of our Monday Thursday events over the years, uh, and I've had my feet washed at them. And you know what? It's, it, it's a holy and an intimate experience. But you know what, that is not what it was in first century Middle Eastern culture. Washing someone's feet wasn't intimate, it wasn't uh, holy. It was the job of slaves, of servants. It was the most menial of tasks. It said that in Jewish culture, a disciple would serve their rabbi in any way, except if it came to feet. Feet were off limits, out of the scope of expectations for a rabbi's follower to deal with. Some of you are here being like, amen to that, freak, feet freak you out. <laughs> but th this act that Jesus is performing is the most menial of tasks. It's, it, it's almost akin to taking out the bins or cleaning the toilets. You know that moment when you have to take the food bin out after a hot day. It's been really hot, hasn't it, this well, last few days, last week or so. Have any of you had it? I've, I've had it <laughs> take the food bin out and oh my word, it's just got so juicy and gross. And you take it out and it's dripping. And we've all been there, haven't we? It's like, this is a menial task. I say we've all been there. <laughs> my wife, Claire, hasn't. Because apparently when you get married, the bins become a man's job. <laughs> if, uh, hey, if any husbands are watching and your wife helps you with the bins, would just send me an email. Just pray for me. I've, I've, it's all good. It's all good. But... This is a moment when, when Jesus is doing that. He's doing this menial task, this, this task that is, is not, super, not for the super important. It's not for the super holy. It's the menial job of the servants. So he performs this task, a task meant for slaves. He finishes it. He stands up. He asks his disciples, verse 12, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I'm doing here? And then, then he goes on in verses 13. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, Jesus isn't saying here, guys, inflation is skyrocketing. The cost of living is through the roof. So sack the maid, save yourself a bit of dollar and clean each other's feet. 
That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that our heart posture, our attitude should be one where we are willing to do the most menial of tasks, willing to take on the role of a slave in order to serve those around us. He's saying we should never think of ourselves as so important that we wouldn't do the lowest of tasks to love those around us. Here is God in flesh, the creator of the universe, the savior of humanity, and he's with his disciples. And he says, this is the example I want you to follow. When death is only hours away, this is the thing that I want to get into you. Take on the role of a servant to serve those around you. Jesus is saying to them, do you understand? We've been together for three years now. Following my example isn't just about going and proclaiming the gospel and the good news. It's not just going and praying for the sick and casting out demons. It's understanding the created order. It's understanding that the way I made this world is to be different to the way of your society. Do you understand that what I'm doing here is so much more than just washing feet? It's about showing you a way to live. You know, this is revolutionary. Over the course of history, there have been plenty of people who have served like saints, but none of them have claimed to be God. And there have been plenty of people who have claimed to be God, but who have not humbled themselves to serve. And here we have the remarkable Jesus. He says, you're right to call me Lord. Like I am God, that's who I am. Yet I will still humble myself and I will serve you. And this is the example that I want you to follow. In this passage, we find what I call the compelling tension of Christianity. How does the passage start? Verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples. You know, when you read through the Gospels, especially John's Gospel, it is so clear that he knows how loved he is by Jesus. You know, I love the idea of John sitting there when he's writing the gospel a few decades after Jesus has died, and he's just remembering with a smile how much Jesus loved them. He's remembering how Jesus treated them and spoke to them. Jesus, sorry, John refers to himself in the gospel as John, in, the, in his gospel, as the one Jesus loved. <laughs> he knew how much Jesus loved him, so much so that that's what he would call himself. Hey, I'm the one that Jesus loves. He really knew how much Jesus loved him. And so we have this on one side, that we are so deeply loved. And then in this passage, with all of that love going on, with all of that affection, Jesus says, would you take on the role of a servant? This is the compelling tension of Christianity. You are more loved by God than you could ever imagine. And you are spare change in his pocket to be spent however he chooses. Another way to put it, you are more significant in the eyes of your father than you could ever dare hope. But once you follow Jesus, your life is not about you anymore. With spare change in his pocket is a phrase that John Wimber, uh, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, used to say, and I heard it many years ago, and I remember when I heard it for the first time, I really struggled with it. Because at that time, I was focusing more on the Jesus loved them to the end. I'm the one loved by Jesus. We're special. We're so important. We're world changers. And you know, there's, there's truth in that. Those things are not wrong. But Jesus also calls us to pick up our cross and follow him. 
You know, our individualistic society has fed us with this belief that we are really, really, really important. But then we read verse 16. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one he sent him. And it hits our self-importance. I don't, I don't know about you, but it's that moment where you realize you're not that important. I was re-listening to a talk from Jay Pathak uh, this week as I was preparing for this message. It's a talk I heard back in 2019. And it, I mean, one of those talks that just stays with you. <laughs> and in it, Jay uh, is, is quoting a preacher that um, he heard at a church planting conference. And this preacher was there to inspire and stir up church planters to go and do the stuff. And his five points were this. Life is hard. You're not that important. It's not about you. You are not in control. You will die. <laughs> and it's that moment where it's like, oh, that's not the message I was expecting to hear. I wanted to hear, you're important. You're a world changer. You can go do it. But it's such a helpful reminder, isn't it? I'm not that important. I'm definitely nowhere near as important as I think I am. You know, and if Jesus humbled himself and served in the most menial of ways. And he's doing this. He's washing the feet of the disciples when there is most likely a servant whose job it is to wash the feet, awkwardly standing around, being like, what's, what's going on? I'm supposed to be doing that. And if Jesus will do that, you bet that we must do too. Or are we more important than the savior of humanity? Are we more important than the creator of the universe? It's this tension. We are both loved more than we could ever imagine, and we are spare change. We are called to lay down everything to serve those around us, to live an open life. Once we follow Jesus, our life is not about us anymore. And this is the key. This is the key we have to understand. It's not about you. It's not about me. We are spare change in God's pocket. And he gets to spend us however he chooses. Of course he does. Do you know why? Because it's the one who asks. You know, loved children of God, when we understand the great price at which we have been bought, we become willing to do whatever God would ask of us. When, when we are sitting here as loved children of God, we're willing to serve wherever there is a need because we know how much God loves us. And we're like, well, hey, Father, if you'd asked me to go serve there, of course I will. I'll do that for you. Look what you've done for me. So God... If you ask me to open up my home every Wednesday uh, for small group, I'll do it. If you ask me to be interruptible on my daily commute or on my lunch break or when I'm having some me time in a coffee shop, I'll do it. If you're asking me to invite the new person at work or the new person at church uh, out for a walk to, to get to know them, I'll do it. Lord, if you're asking me <laughs> to sacrifice some stuff that I love, in order to create space where people can come to know you, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. It's a really silly uh, and simple example, but I had this moment um, at the end of church, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so, it was the weekend of the US Open, the sports fans, if you remember, and, I, and there was a Grand Prix on that evening, I think it was the US Grand Prix as well, 
Uh, and so both of these events were like culminating on Sunday night after church. And I was like, yes, I'm actually going to get to watch the Grand Prix. And I'm going to get to watch the God. I'm going to get to have like two screens going on. This is going to be so good. And so I went to church that day. And I was like, obviously, Lord, I want to see you move. But you know what? I, I would also like to get home and watch the golf and watch the F1. And it was one of those evenings where the Lord shades up and he moves. And then just, uh, you know, the number of people, obviously, they're getting ministers around the room. But there was a few people who just, they really wanted to connect with me. There was some stuff they wanted to talk through or to have prayer about. And it was that moment where, you know, I just remember realizing it's like, I'm not going to get to go and watch the F1. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to catch some of the golf. Obviously, it's going to go on really late, but way past my bedtime. And I was like, Lord, you know what? My life's not mine anymore. Even though I want to do that, that pales in comparison to seeing you bring life in this moment. Look, and I know that's, that's a silly example. That's, that's a small-scale thing. It's not that big a deal. But it's, those are, it's real life, isn't it? Those are the moments I imagine many of us can relate to when you know, we're finishing church and we want to rush home to get the kids down for a nap or, or to have the Sunday lunch, whatever it might be, to get on with our day. And in those moments, we're not looking for the opportunities to open ourselves up and see what God wants to do. You know, if we're narrow, if we're closed off, and our lives are all about us, then we miss what God is doing and we miss where he might want to spend us. You know, an open life mindset says, God, would you use me? Would you spend me? And when that happens, we start to see the opportunities around us to be spent, to bring life and hope to people. You know, a passing comment uh, from your coworker about their tough weekends becomes an opportunity to show compassion and care and to just show a little bit of hope maybe in that moment. Uh, a person at the gym who says they've got a master coming up and you remember it and celebrate it with them is an opportunity for you to bring life. A moment of prayer ministry, maybe uh, when someone shares about loneliness, is a, an opportunity for you to invite them into your small group. You know, the list could go on. Why does Jesus ask us to do this? It's because he asks us to bring life to those around us. There's a great quote in a book called Scattered Servants written by a pastor in the US, Adam Scott. He, he wrote this book actually when he was in Northern Ireland. But he said this, Jesus then sent the early followers as scattered servants to the uttermost parts of the earth. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. When Jesus spoke the word, so I send you, he was commissioning them and by extension us to operate with the same authority and assignment as he had. His assignment was not a mystery. His, his assignment was to bring life. We know this because he told us, I have come so that you may have life in John 10.10. But life doesn't come until someone is sent. This is why throughout the scriptures, people are sent. We are sent in the same way as Jesus himself was sent in glory, authority, humility, and vulnerability. The church is the group of people sent to bring life to cities and regions and nations. God doesn't send the lost into the church. He sends the found into the world. And now in response to the brokenness all around, he sends us. Almighty God has made a promise to the city and to the broken. It's called the church. The church is not only the gathered environment, it is the sent scattered servants, everyone, everywhere, every day. As a result, the church is at its best, not sitting asking God to unleash hope to hurting hearts. The church is at its best when it knows it has been sent by God to unleash the hope in hurting hearts. God always answers the cries and longings of hurting humanity with the words, so I send you. 
so I send you. We are being sent. We are being commissioned to go and live an open life, to bring life and hope to the hurting and the broken. And when we realize that our life is not about us anymore, it frees us up to play our part to get to bring life. Now, there is leadership wisdom (laughs) that will tell you, sell the vision and people will sign up to serve. And there's a lot of wisdom in that and there's really good practice in that. Of course there is. But you know, I think this servant-hearted nature, this open life mindset that Jesus is asking of us is not a vision issue. It's a discipleship issue. We don't open our lives up and invite people around because every time we have great vision. We don't serve because we have huge vision for every need that we see. We don't serve because we want to look good. We don't even serve because it's good for us, even though the reality is it is. You know, the Apostle Paul quotes Jesus as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He does that in Acts 20. And, and we know this is true, don't we? Of course, of course we do. And I was listening to a podcast uh, last week that had a couple of mental health experts on it. Who, they're not Christians, but they were saying that in their uh, kind of expert opinion, the key to having a good mental health was to find something more important than you and devote your life to it. And I was listening, and I was like, yeah, that's like, that's the gospel. <laughs> you know, like, let's do this. You know, come on. And it's like, we know this to be true. But you know what? That's not even the reason we serve. That's just a good outworking, a good byproduct of it. We serve, we open our lives up because Jesus asks us to. And we serve in hidden, in unglamorous ways. We do it not to be noticed. We do it not because it's a way to boast and how to kind of humble brag. We don't do it, of course, we don't do any of that. We do it because it's a profoundly holy thing to be obedient to God, to imitate him in humbling ourselves and serving him. Now we're spare change. We are spare change to be spent. But we actually have to spend ourselves, don't we? We actually have to do it. I love this, verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. (laughs) It's almost like Jesus knew that many of us like to fill our minds with great ideas without then living them out. (laughs) You know, I have a friend uh, who, you know, he knows all about healthy living. He knows about fad diets. He knows about the latest trends in exercise. He knows kind of the techniques of things. He's got opinions on them all. But he's still significantly overweight. Do you know why? Because he he never actually does any of them. He's got all of the knowledge, but he doesn't put it into practice. He doesn't do the stuff. And so what does it look like for you and I (laughs) to not be people who know the right ideas and know great wisdom, but don't live it out? What does it look like for us to live an open life, to do it? You know, living an open life, we've talked about, it's about bringing life to the environments we're in. So what environments are you in? (laughs) Where are you? Where has God placed you? Where is the need that you see in your workplace? Where is the need that you see in your family or your friendship group? Maybe your neighborhood. Start where God has placed you. It, It is as simple as that. We don't need huge calling or vision to a new location. Where has God placed you? Where do you work? Where do you spend your time? Who do you hang out with? Those are the environments you are in right now that God is calling you to bring life to. So go bring life there. What hobby do you do? Is that an environment that you can start to bring life into? 
What would it look like for you to live an open life, to see people how God sees them, to be invitational and interruptible when you're in those environments, to enter them and go, you know what, this is not just about me, but I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to look to see what God is doing and I'm going to see if I can partner with him to bring life and to bring hope in this moment. And you know what? If that's menial, if that's unglamorous, if that's hidden, if that involves me losing my self-importance and entitlement, well, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to play my part, Lord. You know, the reality is, this is, of course, going to cost us. And we've looked at that in different ways over the, the weeks as well. Living an open life will cost you. Serving will cost you. And it will cost you your time. It will cost you your money. It will cost you your pride as you lay down that self-importance. But not living an open life, not serving, is going to cost you more. You know, this is a character issue. This is a heart issue, a discipleship issue. If you live in a, in a closed and narrow way, you know what? In the short term, it's going to feel great because you're going to, you're going to get to indulge your selfishness. <laughs> but over time, what's going to happen is your heart's going to grow cold. It's going to grow bitter. It's going to grow tough to the things of God. It's going to stop seeing the needs of the vulnerable. It's going to stop feeling the pain of the broken. It's, it's going to stop having the capacity to love and to feel deeply in the same way. Ultimately, what's going to happen as we start to close our lives off is we will look less and less like Jesus. And that's not what we want to do, is it? We're here. We're saying yes to Jesus. We want to look like you. We want to follow your example. And Jesus calls us to bring life to those around us. He calls us to bring life to the environments we're in. We do that by being open, by opening ourselves, by seeing people how God sees them, by being interruptible and invitational, and then laying down our rights and saying, God, would you spend me however you choose? So let's just make this practical. Over the summer, what does this look like for you? And as we, as we come into close, what I want to do in that... Um, that passage I read out from Alan Scott, he talked a lot about us being sent, didn't he? Being commissioned to go and do this stuff. If you are watching this, if you are listening on the podcast, you are sent. <laughs> go, go do the stuff. Go live an open life. Go bring life and hope to your environments. And so just take a moment. Okay, God, where, where have you placed me? Over the next couple of weeks, what environments am I going to be in where I could bring life? Okay, I'm going to see family in two weekends' time. Okay, Lord, my relationship with my family is maybe tricky. Is that dynamics tough? What does it look like for me to humble myself, to put aside my own pride, my own frustrations, and go into that environment and love them? Or maybe you've got a work kind of summer barbecue coming up, and you're like, I don't really want to go. I don't know people that well. You're like, okay, but actually, Lord, that's a moment that I can go and open myself up, and I can look for opportunities of what you might be doing, and I can bring life into that environment. It could, it could be anything, you know, whatever it is, what are the environments you're in over the next few weeks? Receive this as a commissioning moment to go and bring life to those environments. To open yourself up, to say, Lord, would you use me? Would you spend me? I know how much you love me, and I want to bring that love to those around me. And you know, as we do that, sometimes it's going to be hard, sometimes it's going to be joyous, but we will see the kingdom of God break out and we will see lives changed.